Tom Sumner program. Old fashioned radio for a new generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! <laughs> I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Tom, easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Lucky team. <laughs> Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry. What's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our fellow Americans. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans. And soon, they will be available to everyone. The science is clear. These vaccines will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. They could save your life. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. That's the first step to ending the pandemic and moving our country forward. It's up to you. And the Tom Sumner Program. This is Mayor Sheldon Neely, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Show. God bless you, merry gentlemen, let nothing you dismay. Remember Christ our Savior was born on Christmas Day. To save us all from Satan's power when we were gone astray. Oh, tidings of comfort and joy, comfort and joy. Oh, tidings of comfort and joy. From God our Heavenly Father, a blessed angel came. And unto certain shepherds brought tidings of the same. How that in Bethlehem was born the Son of God by name. Oh, tidings of comfort and joy, comfort and joy. Oh, tidings of comfort and joy. Hey, welcome back. Uh, everybody. This is the Tom Sumner Program. My guest this hour is a senior editor at uh, National Geographic. Uh, she works with, uh, uh, oh, in the area of, uh, of travel. Let me see if I can get this uh, a little better. Um, where she publishes travel, photography, cookbooks, and illustrator reference titles. In fact, um, most of the books she's worked on, I've had people on the show about. And I, <laughs> and I was going to bring that up. I, I was trying to think. Um, uh, anyway, uh, her name is uh, Allison, and I turned the page, and I had it right in front of me, Johnson. I thought that was too easy. Allison Johnson uh, from National Geographic joins me by phone. Hi, Allison. Welcome to the show. And I'm trying to Hi. remember if 
if I should be saying welcome back, because I think you've been on my show before. I think so. I think last time we talked about the National Park Guides from National Geographic, so maybe, it's good to be back. <laughs> maybe that was it. I was looking through some of the titles of some of the books that you've worked on, and, mm-hmm. you know, I, I thought, oh, maybe it was for... Uh, the New York Times best-selling Blue Zones Kitchen. Nope, that was Dan Butner, and Dan was on the Dan show. Dan Butner, yeah, and, and they, you know that's a wonderful book, and Dan's an awesome guy, so I'm glad he's been on. <laughs> and and uh, the same thing with Five Thousand Ideas series uh, with Joe Yogurst. Joe's been yep. on the show, and doctors uh, Roizen and Coupain um, mm-hmm. with the work what they he eat. When, yeah. yeah. Um, anyway, yep. I, and I was trying to think, but Allison's name is so familiar, so I thought you had been on before. But tell me about what makes the the new book from National Geographic, and it's a self-described coffee table book, which uh, at, at National Geographic means if you just add legs, you have a coffee table. <laughs> um, no, it's, it's a, a huge book. It's called A Thousand Perfect Weekends, and... Um, and, and compiles 19 years, I think, of um, different suggested weekend getaways through photography. It's it's uh, an amazing uh, book, and as all National Geographic books are, it's uh, full of just incredible photography. But let's let's get Allison in on this. <laughs> <laughs> And and let me ask you, what makes a perfect weekend? How did you pick, you know, only a thousand? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, it was it was quite the process, and we actually worked with a team of about seven National Geographic travel writers, Joe Yogurst, who you had mentioned earlier, being one of them, um, and we really relied on their expertise for destinations all across the globe where you can get a lot out of a two or three day weekend getaway. You know, life is busy. We all have tons of obligations, work, family, and sometimes all you get is a short escape. And so we wanted to create this volume that allows you to make a trip and get away and relax and unwind, but do it in a short window of time. And it's really geared towards every type of traveler. So The book is broken down into chapters based on your interests, whether that's beach getaways, mountain getaways, pet-friendly or family-friendly getaways, adventure trips, eco-friendly trips. We have it all in here. Some are close by. They're only going to be two or three hours drives or flights from your home. Others are around the world. So if you do have a vacation already planned, but you have two or three extra days where you can tack on an extra destination, there are great opportunities to do so using this book. And each entry starts in a hub. And so you know if I'm in a certain location, I'm only within four to five hours from this destination. And so you can really use it to plan longer getaways or to just get away for a weekend right from your own backyard. Well, yeah, that's important. This is such a cool thing because, as you pointed out, some people are maybe taking a little less than the standard two-week vacation. They get, you know, Mm -hmm. it almost seems like we work 24-7 now that we carry around our offices. But but people who plan to, you know, get a couple, three days or a long weekend um, away, so often... 
they think of, of staycations or those things that are close by to them. Mm-hmm. And this is an opportunity to consider more than maybe what you first think of, you know, to get some ideas for different things to do. Exactly. And, you know, it's hard to get away. My husband and I, we have two kids at home. We have a three-year-old and a three-month-old. So getting Oh, well, then you guys don't go anywhere. (laughs) We don't go anywhere. (laughs) But when we're lucky enough and my parents will take the kids, a weekend is all we get. And so this book is meant for people like us because, you know, we did it with our first son. We Our first trip after we had our son, who's now three, was to Sedona, Arizona. And it's a flight for us. It took a three-hour flight to get there. But we got so much done in three days, and it was one of our favorite trips that we've ever taken. And that's in the book as well. There's many ways to enjoy Sedona. We did it as a hiking trip where we went and enjoyed all the red rocks. We stayed at a lovely B&B while we were there. But you can also go and stay at spa resorts where you get a lounge and relax and take in the scenery. So you can do a lot in each of these destinations. You might have to hop on a plane to get there. And sometimes people feel, well, I'm getting on a plane. I want to be there for a long amount of time to make it worth the travel time. But sometimes three days is really enough to get a taste for where you are and see and do so much of what's on offer. Yeah, I always think of that scene of Chevy Chase pulling up next to the Grand Canyon, gets out of his car, walks over, goes, cool, and jumps back in the yeah. car and drives away. <laughs> so sometimes you can get the experience fairly quickly. But one of the things that, that I, I found really interesting about this is because it lays out so many suggestions. And there are a lot of times when people don't even really know what's in their backyard. I remember being in Chicago once. I was having dinner at a restaurant. And I I don't know how the conversation got started, but I ended up telling my server that I was going over to uh, Second City, uh, the comedy Mm -hmm. uh, theater, after, uh, after dinner. And she looked at me and she said, you know, I forgot we even have that. I should get some people yeah. together and go. And and that's what I'm talking about. There are things, you know, maybe right under your nose that you don't, that don't necessarily come to mind when you have some time. Yeah, and I think that's one of the great things about the expertise of the travel writers who put this book together with me is they've been to all these places. They are experts in each of these destinations, and they can remind you of all the treasures that are either right in your hometown or just a quick drive away. And some places that you never have visited or you visited and haven't been back to in a while, I think they really have provided all of those hidden gems or beloved treasures that make a place so exciting to see. Um, Was there any rhyme or reason to going back 19 years? I mean, National Geographic's been around for 100 yeah, well, it's not going back 19 years. It's, it's providing 19 years of getaways. So we, it's basically, if you want to create a bucket list, we have 19 oh, years worth of vacations oh, for you to take. Now, so 1,000, yeah, 1,000 weekends equals 19 years of vacations. <laughs> see, I read that all wrong, Allison. That's, <laughs> well, shoot, I'm not even sure I'm going to live another 19 years. <laughs> I guess I better get started. Cram them all in. <laughs> that's that's what I'm saying, um, but this is uh, this really does have something for everyone. 
It does. And we really wanted to celebrate not only the diversity of destinations out about in the world, but the diversity of travelers in the world. You know, not every traveler wants the same experience as the person sitting next to them on the plane. So we try to cover something for everyone, be it road trip people who want to hop in their RV and go camping, be it people that love wildlife or people who are adrenaline rush seekers. But we also have Adventures for Families. We have a whole chapter called Enabled Adventures, which is a personal favorite of mine. It is weekend getaways for people of all different abilities. So there's adaptive activities, adaptive hiking, adaptive skiing, places for visually impaired or hearing impaired people where they can have a great vacation, even places that cater to autism-friendly environments. So really, we wanted to celebrate all the different types of travelers that are out in the world and make sure that there is a number of weekends for every type of traveler to experience in this book. What about theater, Allison? I know Broadway is trying really hard to get back on uh, on people's uh, radar and on their bucket lists. Um, are, are there things like that included in the book as well? Absolutely. Um, New York City is included actually as a family-friendly getaway, and Broadway is one of those things that we're saying, take your kids to a show, expose them to these theaters. It's educational, it's experiential, and so a lot of kids who have been home for a while with school, it's a great way to get out there and see the world and learn something different. And in theater and otherwise, we also have these great top 10 lists throughout the book that really highlight specific things like the best places to go if you love music and you want to go to either a music festival or great live music destinations, the best places for the top museums, a perfect place to find the best sunrise or sunset, the best places if you love food to take a food tour, the best places for wine and vineyards. There are top 10 lists throughout that are going to get you to those very specific destinations that you're looking for. More about Perfect Weekends with National Geographic Senior Editor Allison Johnson straight ahead. Oh, you better watch out. You better not cry. Better not pout. I'm telling you why. Oh, Santa Claus is coming. Twice gonna find out who's naughty or nice. Oh, Santa Claus is coming. He comes to town. He's coming to town. He sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He knows if you've been bad or good. So be good, for goodness sake. Oh, you better watch out. Better not cry. Better not pout. I'm telling you why. Oh, Santa Claus is coming. He comes to town. He's coming to town. Hello, darling. 
the dark with Tom Sumner. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. If you have traveled to a country with a widespread outbreak of COVID-19, CDC recommends you stay home and check your health for 14 days after returning to the United States. Take your temperature with a thermometer two times a day. Watch for symptoms like fever, cough, and trouble breathing. And if you feel sick or have symptoms, call ahead before you go to a doctor's office or emergency room. Tell the doctor about your recent travel and your symptoms and avoid contact with others. For more information, visit cdc.gov. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe By from the Blue Hawaiian. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Ananick. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all It's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. Hello. Speaking. Oh, dear. Honey, our car warranty is expiring again. So soon? It just expired last week. You don't even own a car! Not now, Dana. Your father's on the phone. Hey! Mom and Dad, you're being scammed! It's a robocall! Scammers are using new technology and clever tactics to make more and more calls that look legitimate, but are hard to trace. They can make it look like they're calling from any number, even from numbers of people you know. My Robocall Crackdown team is working with state and federal partners to stop the robocalls for good, but I need your guys' help. Don't trust your caller ID. Verify you're really talking to the person whose number appears when your phone rings. If you accidentally answer a robocall, hang up right away. Engaging in conversation will only lead to more calls. Use a call blocking app on your cell phone that stops robocalls before they interrupt your day. And if you do get a robocall, File a complaint with my office online at mi.gov slash robocalls. And mom, dad, please do not give your information out to these scammers over the phone. They're just trying to trick you. Well, at least they call. No, I get it. You're busy. But you know, Janine's daughter is a doctor. She calls every week. A doctor. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov. Dot gov slash 
AG Complaints for your connection to consumer protection. And the Tom Sumner Program. More about Perfect Weekends with National Geographic Senior Editor Allison Johnson straight ahead. What about for uh, for history buffs? I think the last time we talked, Allison, we were talking about the history of... Uh, national parks and national geographic probably as as i I recall but for people that that just love history you know there are museums and um uh, historic villages what what other kinds of things might people find yeah we have a whole chapter on historical explorations in the book and it ranges you know we have everything from a road trip from new orleans to louisiana where from Tennessee to Louisiana, where you're on the Delta Blues Highway. So it's the history of music that you're driving through. Or a Boston pilgrimage, where you go out there and you travel through historical walking ways that highlight the foundation of America. And there's even a top ten list of battlefields that you can visit around the world. So if you're a history buff and you are very interested in wars, ancient and newer, the battlefields that you can explore, everything from Yorktown in Virginia to the beaches of Normandy in France, we have a ton of battlefields for those history buffs to visit, too. How do you pick the photographs for a big <laughs> project like this? You know, it's a really fun process, and we want to create a book where people can travel from their armchairs, and so we rely heavily on our National Geographic photographers who are out there and a wonderful team of photo editors and researchers who really find the most spectacular versions of these places, and just flipping through the book, whether or not you can make it to these places, these images give you a sense of place and where you are, and they really speak to the destinations, and we are lucky enough to work with some of the world's greatest photographers, and we get to feature their beautiful images throughout these pages. It's amazing. I just I just opened the book at random, and... and uh opened right up to a lighthouse mm-hmm. and say i wouldn't you know i wouldn't necessarily think of that say oh i've got a few days off i'm gonna go see a lighthouse but i open this book and i look at the lighthouse and i think you know that'd be kind of cool <laughs> yeah i think that's the beauty of this book is you're going to find things that you never thought to do but you know people love to go to visit lighthouses but it's also well, I'm on a beach vacation, and I don't want to just sit on my lounge chair. What else is there to do? And there are historical lighthouses that you can visit and other awesome destinations that when you're flipping through this book, you're going to say, I didn't know about that. I didn't know it existed. Oh, I want to see that in person. Hey, what's the difference between camping and glamping? <laughs> it's how rugged you are. So camping, <laughs> you know, you're going to 
you might have your RV or you're going to pitch your own tent and get out there in the wild, but glamping, you have a little service with it. So you have more luxurious digs. You might have a safari style tent or your, or even a tree house that you're staying in that has a bed and a mattress and sometimes even a little kitchenette in it and a, a bathroom. My guest is Allison Johnson from uh, National Geographic, where she's a senior editor. We're talking about a uh, new book from Nat Geo called A Thousand Perfect Weekends. We were just talking about camping versus glamping, and that got me thinking, uh, Allison, what about price points? Yeah, you're going to find a range of price points here. So there are camping trips, which are very low cost, road tripping, RV trips that you can take, and other adventures that, you know, they're easy to get to by car so you don't have to pay for a flight. The lodging options are really all across the board in price range as well as restaurants and food. And then there are the luxurious destinations in the book. So if you want that high-end getaway, we have a whole chapter called Ultimate Retreats, which is really that luxe type of travel where you're going to the beautiful resorts, the beachside destinations, places in the Alps even, and those are for the higher-end price points. But really, any type of traveler can find something within their budget in this book. Now, when you're putting something together that's this massive, I mean, you said it would take 19 years of weekend <laughs> of weekends to get all thousand perfect weekends in. Um, but how can you possibly assemble that much information? How how big a team does it take, and how do you parse it up? Yeah, so it's a pretty big effort on our end. And so I worked with seven National Geographic travel writers to put together the entries of this book. They each took on a number of entries and destinations around the world to tackle. And on top of those itinerary destinations and our top ten list that were written by this team of seven writers, we also relied on um, 50 writers throughout National Geographic, the National Geographic Travel Group, who contributed firsthand personal accounts. And they're at, we call them perspectives in the book. They're beautiful first-person essays from these writers. And they talk about their own experiences in a lot of these destinations. And I always love that as a nice personal touch to these books so you can see how someone really lived a weekend in one of these vacation destinations. Yeah, I was just wondering as you, as you're you're going through uh, and and editing and and picking out things for the for the collection. How often do you come across things that you just had never even heard of? Oh, so often, and that's one of the joys of my job is I'm <laughs> you know relying on these travel writers and their expertise from being in all of these places, but. A number of the destinations in this book, even as a travel editor who I work on travel all the time, it's what I do day in and day out, I still found so many places I didn't know existed that I could add to my own bucket list. I mean, one, for example, um, I've always wanted to go to New Zealand. It's the adventure capital of the world, but in South Island, New Zealand, there's a system of caves that you can inner tube through, and they're covered in glowworms, so it's almost like you're you're riding underneath the night sky, but those wow. stars are actually illuminated glowworms. And when I got to that that entry in this book, I was taken away by it, and it, it immediately went to the top of my bucket list. <laughs> that does sound fun. Um, yeah. Is there, 
is there an online version of this, or is is it really best to get the hard copy book and uh, and and sprawl out with it? You know, it is a really good hard copy book because it has all those beautiful images in it. But we are working on version that people can download eventually. But right now, it is hardcover only, and it's a big book, but it's so worth it to have on your coffee table and flip through time and time again when Wanderlust strikes. Well, and, and the other thing, too, and I mention this every time I talk to somebody from National Geographic, not only are the, are the photographs fascinating because of just the variety of, of images and people and places that get captured, but the quality and the composition that the photographers put into it. But Nat Geo does such a tremendous job of the reproductions. Yes, but yeah, we want to make sure that those those photographs from our National Geographic photographers really stand out. So we make sure these are quality books that not only will inspire you to get out there, but you want to keep them on display and, and again, flip through as, as often as humanly possible. Now, I can't possibly keep up with all of the amazing stuff that comes out of National Geographic. <laughs> but if I were going to try, Allison, how would I do it? Well, you can always see what we're working on on Facebook and Twitter on National Geographic Books. That's our handle there. And we also, you can click the Nat Geo, the Nat Geo website to find out what we're working on, too. And you can always follow me as well. I'm at AllieWren.edits on Instagram, and I'm always updating, especially our travel and food books and what we're working on there. Is is it uh, broken up into sections? Because I, I know, like, there's Nat Geo Kids and... There's the uh, Nat Geo Explorers and all these different mm-hmm. offshoots. Is 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 Nat Geo dot is it org or com? Um, but it, com. It, is that the central place to reach all things Nat Geo? It is, and you'll find everything that we're doing there, and you can. You can navigate your way to find these different sections of National Geographic, but that's the hub to see everything that we're working on. It's not geo.com. Well, Allison, it's great talking to you again, and uh, I, I hope we get a chance to do it again soon. Um, but I'm not too worried about that because as often as Nat Geo comes uh, out with things, there's always something to talk about. Always something in the pipeline for us. I look forward to being back. All right, take care. Thanks. That was um, Allison Johnson, a senior editor and writer at uh, National Geographic. We've been talking about a thousand perfect weekends, and we'll have more of the Tom Sumner program straight ahead. Hey, welcome back, everybody. This is the Tom Sumner Program. It's always an honor when I get a chance to talk with National Geographic's Editor-in-Chief, Susan Goldberg, and she joins me again this morning by phone to talk about a new book from National Geographic called The 21st Century Photographs from the Image Collection. Her name is Susan Goldberg, and she joins me by phone. Hi, Susan. Welcome back. 
Well, hi, Tom. Thanks for having me. And it's always nice to talk to somebody from my home state of Michigan. You know, I was going to ask, I, I thought I remembered we talked about that last time you were here. Um, but uh, but let's talk about the 21st century and the image collection, because, uh, well, I'm curious what the image collection is um, versus any other collections there might be at the 100-year-old uh, plus National Geographic Archive. But uh, also, the 21st century isn't even half over yet. Has the, have the photographs been so intense that you got to do uh, the 21st century in pieces? Well, you know, I, I can't speak for what the rest of the 21st century is going to be like, right? We've got something like 79 more years to go. But um, we did have a moment in 2020, and we all, of course, remember 2020, uh, when we looked at each other and we said, gosh, 2020 has been such an astonishing year. Maybe we should do an entire book just devoted to 2020. Oh, really? But then we, then we, then we stood back and said, well, wait a minute. We're actually at a really interesting moment. We're about to have the first 21 years of the 21st century. What if we just looked at that? And what's incredible is that the National Geographic Image Collection is, in fact, our photographic archive. Oh, okay. And just this year alone, more than, yeah, just this year alone, more than two million images will come in to our photographic archive. Um, so we went back for the last 21 years and just pulled the most important, iconic, surprising, interesting, beautiful, heartwarming photographs that we could find to sum up where we've all been on this on this shared journey. Well, one of the things that National Geographic is known for is photographs from all over the world. And, and of course, some incredible um, images and things that you wouldn't see if not for the great uh, photographers that, that associate with National Geographic, but also stunning reproductions in the, in the publishing part of it. But getting back to this uh, around the world, a lot of times the books are broken up into regions or topics. This one's chronological. Any special reason for that? Well, we thought if we were going to look at the first 21 years of this century, we ought to give people the opportunity to kind of take a time travel with us, right? So you've got this book. It weighs about five pounds. It has 430 pages. And you, as you pace, page through it, you know, you are kind of moving forward in time, just as we all did. Uh, and, it, and it does take you on this shared history uh, journey told through photography. So that's why we did it chronologically, because it's how we experience those events ourselves. You know, I was thumbing through the book, and, <laughs> you know, I've, I, I don't know if I've joked with you about this before, probably, but you mentioned this is a pretty weighty tome, and, and some people would call it a coffee table book, and I... I always say if you just added legs, it could be a coffee table. But <laughs> it's, um, I, I found it, I was thumbing through some of the pictures, and I went to right to September 11th, 9-11, 2021, or uh, 2001. 
Yeah. And I was surprised at the photograph. I, I really expected to see the iconic Twin Towers smoldering and, you know, a, at least one plane still visible. And I didn't. I saw people. And, and it made me wonder, when you're going through and putting together um, these photographs for these iconic moments in history that National Geographic has captured photographically... How do you decide when you're going to show people versus things around a historic event? I think that's such an interesting observation. And actually, though, in the in the very forward of the book, right, where I'm writing about how we put this book together, we do have four frames that were taken by our photographer on September 11th. His name is Robert Clark, and he uh, was he you know ran up the stairs to his building's rooftop, and he took four of the most uh, heart-stopping pictures of the, plane, of the second plane crashing into, um, crashing into the tower. And we show those four, those four um, images, and you see the little the, the film image of that happening. But in the book itself, you're right, we've got a picture by our photographer, Lynn Johnson. And what it shows is... First responders, you know, one is a, one looks to be a firefighter, I think one is a police officer, one is a medic, and they are just gazing with this mix of awe and horror and disbelief at the World Trade Center, you know, in flames. And you, we see them and not the building. And to me, as powerful as the pictures are of the burning buildings, and heaven knows we have seen those so many times and it breaks your heart every time you see it, but as powerful as those pictures are, just looking at the expression on the faces of these people, watching this unfold, it affects you even more, right? It puts you in that moment because they're in that moment. And you remember what you were doing in that moment when you heard about it or when you saw it. And so I think that's why you, you look at the pictures of the people. And, and then... Somewhere else around the world, you might have made a different choice, and, right? And, and shown you know, the the event or the aftermath of an event um, as it's unfolding, and not been so focused on the people, but maybe the things in the landscape. Well, I think there's all different kinds of photographs that are powerful, and sometimes they are of events or things, and sometimes they're of people. And sometimes, you know, they're of landscapes. So what we want to do in, in what we try to do in choosing these images, we're just to pick photographs that made people stop and think, and it made them curious to find out more, whether they were very familiar with the event, as everybody is with 9-11, or perhaps completely unfamiliar with what they're seeing, and they just say, gosh, I wonder what's going on in that picture. Let me read about it, or let me find out more. And that's what makes a great photograph. More than, you know, it could be on any subject, but it's got to be something that stops you and makes you think. It's um, it, it's fascinating, as, as all of the Nat Geo books are, um, but how, I mean, the way you described it, it makes perfect sense to do this collection for the first 21 years. But is that how an idea is formed? You go, oh, hey, it's uh, 
We're 21 years into the 21st century. We should do a book. <laughs> you know, I don't know. I don't know if we would have thought about this because we've not done a book quite like this before. So I don't know that we would have thought about this had 2020 not been such a harrowing year, right? I mean, in 2020... Uh, Susan, I've heard it referred to as being 2020 Yeah, well, exactly, <laughs> right? So in, in 2020, we did our first year in pictures in the magazine. We had never singled out a particular year just to look back because 2020 was so astounding and mostly in bad ways. But, you know, had we not started talking about whether we should do more around 2020, I'm not sure we would have ended up doing this, but I'm awfully, awfully glad we did. Yeah, this this one is, it's um, it's interesting, but it struck me as funny that we're only 21 years into the century, and it's the 21st century of, of photos, um, especially because National Geographic has been around long enough to do a century's worth of, <laughs> of a photo Actually, collection. Actually, we, we have photos in three centuries, right? We have photos from the 19th century because we yeah. start pictures in 1890. We begin in 1898. There are no pictures in the magazine. Our first picture in the magazine is in 1890, and that's really when the image collection begins, when our photo archives begin. So we have photos from the 19th century, the 20th century, and now the 21st century. And that is why that image collection is so amazing and why there are more than 60 million print and digital images. And and. How did the cataloging evolve around that many photographs? Well, you know, it started out all hand-done, and you can still go into the basement of our building and see physical photographs that are in file folders. And now, of course, it is in a very temperature-controlled room, and you have to put on special white gloves, and you can't really touch anything. Um, but I think for a long time, they just, like, took these pictures and they stuffed them in folders, right? You remember the old card catalogs or, oh, or yeah. you know, clipping services, right? You know, where people used to clip out newspaper stories and stick them in file folders. So that's really how it started. Now, of course, it is a complex digital, digital system um, because there's no other way to possibly keep track of it all. Well, it's... it's um absolutely stunning and the photographs are amazing and there really aren't two alike well, i hope not <laughs> if there really are two alike we've really messed up somewhere but what i think is interesting too are the pairings of pictures sometimes of different subjects but that might have a similar look or feel one could be from the natural world perhaps the leaves of a plant and then there might be um, you know, a, a person wearing clothing that are the same color as the leaf, uh, as the leaves of the plant. I mean, there's all kinds of interesting pairings of photos in addition to just the single images that are scattered throughout this book. Yeah, that's always fun to see because you might see uh, on on one page a, a photograph of a uh, a performance in, in a theater and certain lighting. And then on the opposite page, you'd see the same colors from that lighting picked up in the leaves in a picture of uh, fall in Vermont or something. 
Yes, exactly, exactly. So, it, I mean, it's all designed, whether the photo itself or the pairing of it, to just make people stop and think and reflect, um, you know, either on the wonder of the world or perhaps that we need to do a better job of saving our environment and the creatures we share the planet with or to celebrate looking at joyful events and sometimes to mourn looking at looking at sad things that have happened more about photographs from the 21st century with national geographic editor in chief susan goldberg straight ahead hey <laughs> this is the unknown comic and guess what? You're listening to the Tom Sumner Show right now. And now. And now, too. And even now. Our lives have been turned upside down by COVID-19. When a vaccine becomes available, it's critical that all of us get it. What we do as individuals will impact everyone's health, including those who can't get the vaccine. We won't get through this unless everyone takes part. Now is the time to get up to date on all recommended vaccines for both kids and adults. Experts say it's more important than ever for everyone to get their flu vaccine this year. And if you're older, you should get both the flu and pneumonia vaccines, since both illnesses can make COVID-19 even worse. Vaccines are available at a lot of convenient places, so be an example for friends and loved ones and encourage them to get vaccinated too. We all want to reunite, travel, and get back to school and work. But that means we all need to get on board. This is the time to do what's right for each other. Get vaccinated. It's our best shot. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe By from the Blue Lions. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Ananick. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's, that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview always. You, you, <laughs> it's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. The Tom Sumner Program is made possible with support from Seth David Radwell, a recent guest on the program and author of American Schism, How the Two Enlightenments Hold a Secret to Healing Our Nation, released in July 2021. 
As Publishers Weekly writes in its recent glowing review of American Schism, business executive Radwell's epic debut examines the historical influences that have led to what he sees as the collapse of politics in the United States. Seth Radwell makes the case that the current chasm between the American right and left can be traced back to the 18th century's Age of Enlightenment and the basic tenets of liberty, equality, and reason. American Schism provides a historical perspective that can help bridge current-day divides. American Schism by Seth David Radwell is available at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and wherever books are sold. For more information, go to americanschismbook.com. MTA Flint is nationally recognized for continually seeking to provide sustainable, reliable, and cost-efficient transportation for individuals throughout the region. Through work-related and non-emergency medical transportation and your ride services, MTA is moving people with future and alternative fuel technologies. More information about MTA Flint and specialized services is available at mtaflint.org. More about photographs from the 21st century with National Geographic Editor-in-Chief Susan Goldberg straight ahead. Are all the photographs accepted and, and archived by National Geographic? Would you call them all iconic? Um, well, no. Probably, I mean, certainly I think all of the pictures in this book are iconic in one way or another, or we wouldn't have selected it. But, look, we, we ask our photographers when they are out in the field doing stories for us, they have to give us every single digital image. So they turn in sometimes tens of thousands and even sometimes hundreds of thousands of images. And then our editors look at all of those images. And we get rid of a lot of the ones that aren't iconic, right, because we are looking for the absolute best visual representation of whatever that photographer was taking a picture of. And with all of the options that people have um, with their cell phones. I've been, I've been seeing a television commercial recently with somebody who had literally a television studio that they could slip into their pocket. Um, with people caught up in their own photography, how is that changing the role of National Geographic? Well, it is interesting that you ask that because, of course, we all carry cameras with us right now, our phones, 24-7, and all of us probably take pictures fairly constantly, right? I take pictures every single day, and I am a terrible photographer. And what I think this makes people realize, because they do take pictures and they post to their own social media or put them on Instagram, is how hard it is to take a great picture, and so when you look at National Geographic's Instagram with 170 million followers, the largest single brand on Instagram, you look at those pictures and then you look at your own pictures, <laughs> I think for most of us it makes us really appreciate the ability of these photographers to do the incredible work that they do. See, I would just, uh, I would never do that. I, that would be like uh, my trying to compare some some doodle I did in the, margins of a page to some great work of art at the Louvre. Um, <laughs> the, um, 
in the how would you classify 2021 you talked about thinking about the possibility of doing 2020 by itself but what is 2021 looking like are we in the aftermath of the pandemic or are we still sort of slugging through it well i guess i would when i think about 2021 and of course each of us might think about it a little differently depending on what happens to in our own lives but when i look at 2021 i think of it as a really whipsaw year right when we came out of 2020 i think there was enormous optimism that we were at the other end of the pandemic and everything was going to be okay now you know, but it didn't start off well, right? First, we have January 6th, and we have a, a riot at the Capitol, right? The Capitol is right, right. invaded. Um, and and the pandemic wasn't behind us because then came the Delta variant, right? And, and all of us who had been making plans with our companies of, you know, heading back to the office, you know, all of those plans got shelved, really, until the end of this year. There still are people who are, many people are still not back at the office. A few of us are. Um, but it does feel to me, just mild, speaking for myself, that things are really looking up. I, I feel really optimistic about the how many people are finally starting to get vaccinated, right? People are getting boost, booster shots. Um, there's certainly some people who are never going to get vaccinated, but we are moving toward, you know, this herd immunity, I hope, and, um, you know, we'll be able to get back to life. It certainly feels like events have started happening again, that people can gather with their families and friends uh, slowly, slowly, but, you know, that is beginning to happen. And so I personally feel optimistic about the, you know, how this year is going to end. Yeah, I, I, I think that characterizes it pretty well for me, too. I, 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 I'm still a little shell shocked about how masking and vaccination became political. Well, I would, I also find that astonishing. And as the editor of, uh, you know, journalism that is science-based journalism, I can't tell you how many stories we have written about the pandemic all over the world, about COVID, about the need to vaccinate people. There's people all over the world who would do anything for to be able to get the vaccinations that some Americans just won't have. And it is so sad to me that that somehow became political and that mandates became political because, frankly, we've had vaccine mandates for forever, right? You know, when I was a kid and went to school, I had to be vaccinated for all kinds of things or they wouldn't have let me in. So this is not an unusual thing, but unfortunately... Somehow it became political. But our job as science-based journalists is to tell that story both in words and pictures in a way that is factual and, you know, not opinion-led journalism and just tells people what's going on and gives them information so they can make good decisions. Now, I won't remember the details of this as well as you will, Susan, but... I remember talking to people from National Geographic a couple of years ago about the sale and whether or not that's 
had any kind of impact on um, the editing and publishing of National Geographic uh, departments. You know, I'm happy to talk to you about it because I've been here for that entire time. So when I first joined National Geographic in 2014, we were owned by the nonprofit National Geographic Society uh, and had been since our founding in 1888. But then in 2015, um, 21st Century Fox bought up our, our media, all of the media division. They'd, they'd already been owners of our television, but they bought then the editorial operation, um, all of our consumer products operation, our travel operation. So pretty much uh, we all went to 21st Century Fox, and we were 73% owned by 21st Century Fox and 27% continued to be owned by the nonprofit National Geographic Society. Then in 2019, you might remember that um, 21st Century Fox was bought by Disney. We were, and so we now are majority owned, 73% owned by the Walt Disney Corporation. We were kind of, I like to say, a rounding error on that, you know, $72 billion Disney Fox deal. And so now we are majority owned by the Walt Disney Company. And... Now, why why did I think that Rupert Murdoch was involved in some way? Well, when when we were when we were initially bought uh, by Twenty First Century Fox, of course, that was his company. That was that was Murdoch's company. Okay. And but now we're a part of Disney. But whether Fox or Disney. You know, we have maintained editorial independence throughout. Um, you know, we, as I always say, you know, we continue to do journalism that's on the side of facts, on the side of science, and on the side of the planet. And that has never changed. Well, Susan, it is always an honor and a privilege to talk with you. And I'm so glad that you were able to spend some time with me this morning. Um, my guest is Susan Goldberg. She is uh, the editor-in-chief at National Geographic. We've been talking uh, quite a bit about the uh, newest, uh, I don't know if it's the newest book. You come out with books about every 20 minutes. The 21st Century Photographs from the Image Collection. And Susan, thank you uh, so much. And I always give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about what we've been talking about, but about National Geographic, and I assume that probably the best place to go would be to to stop first at uh, Nat Geo's website. Sure, at nationalgeographic.com is a great front door into what we do, and the book is available at Amazon or wherever books are sold. And I would just say, because I know you're speaking to me from Flint, that there is a picture of Flint, Michigan in this collection. Oh, excellent. Is uh, dare I ask? Is it the water tower? <laughs> uh, no, but it's. So we were talking about pictures of people. It's a picture of three young people um, carrying bottles of water during the uh, height of the lead in the water crisis in 2016. It's a beautiful portrait of these children taken by photographer Wayne Lawrence, and that is here in this book. Well, I'm going to have to dig through now. I've got the book right here in my lap, and I'm going to have to dig through and find that one. I've, I've thumbed through the book several times and managed to miss it somehow, but thanks for letting me know it's in there so I can dig through and find it. Um, 
Susan, thanks again, and keep up the good work. Thank you so much. I appreciate you having me on. Take care. Mm-hmm. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That was Susan Goldberg. She is the uh, editor-in-chief of National Geographic. Their uh, new book that we were talking about is uh, stunning like they all are. The 21st Century Photographs from the Image Collection. And we'll have more of the Tom Sumner Program. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show. We want to acknowledge all of our guests who play such an important role in the show and our cavalcade of cohorts from coast to coast for their regular contributions. Most of the musical accompaniment was provided by people in or from the Flint area. Many of the pre-recorded portions of the Tom Sumner program are made possible by Flint's own Steve McComb and Pencil Sketch Recording in Nashville, Tennessee. If you have comments, questions or suggestions about the show, find us on Facebook. This is Prue Clearwater. Join us next time for another edition of the Tom Sumner Program. And thanks for listening.